Chapter 4 Command Attention Your introduction sets the tone. The first words out of every speaker's mouth should be a well-planned attempt to gain listeners' attention. What a lost opportunity if the first sentence is, Can everyone hear me? Or, Today I'm going to talk about... These are ho-hum rather than lend-me-your-ears beginnings. Once your listeners take a mental exit, it is difficult to get them back in the room. The rest of the speech, no matter how strong, will be an uphill struggle to regain their attention. However, if you start strong and capture attention at the beginning, you have an excellent chance of keeping listeners with you if your message is well adapted to your audience. In addition to grabbing attention, your introduction must relate to your speech topic so you can smoothly transition to your message. The introduction attempts to gain attention, but then focuses that attention on the theme of the speech. Your first goal is to reach out and capture your listener's attention. So if today I'm going to talk about is dull, what are better ways to begin? 33. Refer to the subject or occasion. If there is anything special about the occasion, it marks the 35th anniversary of the Peace Corps or celebrates the successful completion of the fundraising drive for the National Symphony, you may choose to begin your speech by alluding to the occasion itself. It is an opportunity to build cohesion within the group and your rapport with a group, especially if you are an outsider, as you congratulate them on their fine work or mark the milestone. 34. Begin with a powerful quotation. A quotation used in the body of the speech is selected for its support. A quotation used to begin should be selected for its impact. The quotation or the source should be sufficient to pique listeners' interest. Or, the fact that the audience does not know initially that it is a quote may be an attention-grabber in itself. Take, for example, the 18-year-old college student who approached the lectern and began saying, I have today signed an executive order providing for the establishment of a Peace Corps on a temporary pilot basis. I am also sending to Congress a message proposing authorization of a permanent Peace Corps. This Corps will be a pool of trained American men and women sent overseas by the U.S. government or through private institutions and organizations to help foreign countries meet their urgent needs for skilled manpower. These were the words of President John F. Kennedy on March 1, 1961, when he proposed the Peace Corps. That this was a quote was not initially revealed to the listeners. Imagine the audience looking at this 18-year-old and wondering, what does he mean he has signed an executive order? What does he mean when he says he recommends to Congress? Who does he think he is? It got listeners' attention as it was intended to do, and provided the segue to an informative talk about the Peace Corps. 35. Ask a rhetorical question. If a rhetorical question is posed and listeners hear it, they almost certainly will answer it to themselves. They have no choice. As listeners respond to themselves, they become less passive listeners. As they become more active participants in the communication, their attention is focused on your message. A rhetorical question is posed for thought and internal response. The speaker neither expects hands to be raised nor answers to be shouted out. 
The speaker may pose one or a series of questions. Look at the following introduction, which uses a series of questions to gain attention. Did you know when you got up this morning and stood naked, ready to step into the shower, you were already wearing seven to ten of your very best colors? When you dressed, did you attire yourself to complement and enhance those body colors or to overpower them? Do you look best in a pure white blouse or shirt, or is a slightly creamy white more flattering? Can you wear your white with a navy suit and look authoritative and powerful, or does that much contrast overpower you? These are questions you may have never even considered, yet alone answered. By the time you leave here today, you will be able to answer these and many other questions that relate to your very best look for both business and social occasions. The speaker then delivered a speech demonstrating how each person could best select and combine their colors to enhance their own natural coloring using the color one system. Note that these are rhetorical questions posed to the audience with the intention that the listeners will respond internally. If ever you consider asking questions to which you want the audience members to make an actual response, especially early in your speech, consider again. First, you lose control of the direction and focus. A question posed by an audience member may take off on a tangent you neither want nor are prepared to follow. Second, even if you are able to refocus in the direction you wish to take your listeners, it will have taken precious time. Thirty-six, make a startling statement. You may vie for your listeners' attention by beginning your speech with a statement that will startle them. If they hear you, they cannot help but listen to hear what will come next. Consider the following first line to open a speech to employees or to stockholders, in which the speaker's purpose is to tout the growth and accomplishments of the firm. Today, we just shipped the six millionth book out our door. A speaker began a speech on conversation by juxtaposing the following two short sentences: "One tree can make a million matches, but one match can destroy a million trees." A startling statement is meant to grab the listener's attention. If the listeners hear the statement, they will be compelled to perk up their ears to see what this means for them. Obviously, the speaker must be able to make the connection between the startling statement and the thrust of the speech. Thirty-seven, keep listeners in suspense. Entice your listeners by briefly keeping them in suspense. You are providing a hook for your listeners as they try to guess what you are leading up to. You must keep the use of suspense short. If you keep listeners in suspense too long, you will lose, not heighten, their interest. First, let's look at an example that most listeners were probably able to guess before the speaker told them. It has 88 keys but no locks, 230 strings, but you couldn't fly a kite with it. 20 million people play it, but it isn't a game. It's the piano, America's most popular musical instrument. The National Piano Foundation has designated September as National Piano Month, so this seems an appropriate time for me to. Not difficult. Most listeners anticipated what was being referred to, but it was intriguing and caught their attention. 
38. Engage listeners with a vivid illustration. Everyone enjoys a good story well told. You can make it personal. Your audience will enjoy hearing about something that happened to you. Or you can tell a story about someone else. You will recall that Ronald Reagan, when he was president, often sprinkled his talks with stories about everyday people whose situation helped him make a point or gain attention. If you have a story to tell that is especially powerful and relates to the focus of your speech, use it. 39. Hit listeners with a humorous anecdote. The use of a joke to begin a speech is one of the most overworked and most misused ways to begin. It is probably overworked because many speakers don't know any other way. Now that you know several other methods to introduce your speech, if you choose to begin with a joke, it should be a strong opener, not a default. A joke is misused when it in no way relates to the message of the speech. It doesn't set the stage for the listeners or prepare them for your information or persuasion if it is irrelevant to the focus of your speech. A joke is also misused if it is offensive to any of your listeners. Carefully consider the audience you expect in attendance and avoid any material that might offend any of them. You need to build bridges in your introduction, a bridge to your message as well as a bridge of good feeling and rapport between your listeners and you, the speaker. Why would you break that bond by alienating any member of your audience? Even though humor is often misused, it can be effective if used appropriately. Ask yourself these questions. Is the humor related to the focus of the speech, or can I make the connection? Will the material be humorous to this audience? Is my delivery style such that I can make it humorous to this audience? Am I sure the humor will not offend anyone in my audience? Is this the best attention-getter for this speech and this audience? If you can answer yes to each of the five questions, the use of humor ought to be a viable choice. Make humor work to gain your listener's attention and then transition to the focus of your speech. 40. Orient your listeners. The first aspect of formulating an introduction to command attention is to pique your listener's interest. The second is to let your listeners know early in the speech your direction and focus. The transition between the attention step and the main ideas you present should be tightly focused and to the point. The following was the transition John Howard used following a humorous anecdote about a misdirected night. There's a moral to this story. Enthusiasm is not enough. You have to have a sense of direction. Private enterprise, like the bedraggled knight, is not at its best these days. This morning, I want to pose to you the possibility that the troubles which beset the business community may arise because it does not have a very clear idea of who its opponents are, and as a result is focusing much of its defensive energies upon the wrong targets. The sense of direction is amiss. The speaker is now poised to launch his main ideas and develop their supports. 41. Build rapport. Not every speech needs special attempts to build rapport with listeners. 
but you should take a moment to consider whether there is a need for this speech to this audience by this speaker, you. Whether you spend any time at all, or what proportion of your speech you devote to establishing common ground between you and your listeners will depend upon your audience analysis. Are your listeners likely to be hostile toward either you or your goal? If yes, you must devote effort to build rapport. A speaker who would move immediately to a discussion of her solution to a problem would be foolish, because surely it will antagonize a significant number of listeners and would be almost doomed to failure from the start. However, if the speaker were to begin by establishing common ground, talking first about the things she and her listeners could agree on, she would have a chance of being effective. Find the basic things you and your listeners will agree on. Start with those. You want your listeners to say internally, gee, this person isn't as bad as I thought she was. I didn't think we would agree on anything, but our views aren't so different after all. At this point, the audience is ready to really listen, and you have a chance to make your case. If your main ideas and supports are also well-developed for this audience, you may find you are effective in a situation where most speakers would be beaten before they had begun. Another method that can be effective is to ask a series of rhetorical questions to which you are certain your listeners will respond with an internal yes. Do you want your child to have the best possible education? Do you want your child to do well in school? Do you want your child to have available the tools right in your home to help him excel? What parent wouldn't answer yes to each of these questions? Effective speakers attempt to establish common ground with their listeners when speaking to potentially hostile audiences. They help their listeners identify with them and realize they have similar goals. By emphasizing their areas of agreement, speakers stand a better chance that their audience will listen with an open mind and may be persuaded to accept the speaker's point of view. 42. Provide explicit motivation. What makes you pay attention to a speaker? His enthusiasm for his message? The language he uses? The variety of his inflection? His sense of humor? His sensitivity to the audience? All of these things probably are factors influencing your level of attention, but the bottom line motivation is the answer to the question, what's in it for me? When you were a student, you listened to some pretty dreadful lectures, didn't you? You actually paid money for the privilege of going to class and listening to the boring monotones. Why? You wanted the credit hours, and you wanted a decent grade on your transcript. You had motivation, even though it wasn't necessarily the knowledge that was the motivator. If it isn't already obvious to your audience what the payoff will be for them, tell them up front why this is important to them. Will they make the best decision as to which health plan to opt for at their place of employment? Will they be able to negotiate a higher salary at their next performance and salary review? Will they make better investments that will increase their money in the stock market? Whatever the advantage to your listeners, stress the payoff early in your speech, especially if there is any doubt whether they are aware of the importance of the message you are presenting and the ramifications to their lives. 43. Establish credibility. 
If your speech is addressed to people who know you well, your credibility, whether high or low, is already established with your audience. However, if you speak to audiences that have little information about you, the speaker, you want to establish your credibility. Audiences will pay greater attention to a speaker whom they regard as having expertise and being trustworthy, two of the major components of credibility. How can you build your credibility in the eyes of your audience? If someone is to introduce you, their introduction may be sufficient to provide your listeners with information about your qualifications and accomplishments so that they will view you as a highly credible source and give to you their full attention. If there is to be no one who makes an introduction, it is especially important for you to subtly weave into your early remarks comments that demonstrate what qualifies you to speak on the topic. Make these comments early in your speech, so the attention your listeners give you will be heightened. For example, if you look younger than you are and are constantly being mistaken for a neophyte in your company, while in fact you have many years of experience, the following comment could allay the mistaken impression. In the 15 years I've been with Myco, it has been my experience that that single statement could make the difference between listeners daydreaming through your presentation or their realizing early in your speech that you must have a lot more experience than they thought you had, judging from your youthful appearance. Weaving credibility enhancers subtly into remarks you make early in your speech builds credibility without making you seem pretentious. I have suggested several ways you might choose from to formulate introductions to command listeners' attention. These methods are great starting points, but don't limit yourself to these options. Consider your goal, your audience, your message, your own strengths as a speaker, and you may devise a more perfect introduction for your unique goal than any of the suggestions here. Let me share with you what one student did that was perfect for his particular speech. The assignment had been to give a speech to demonstrate. Dan volunteered as the final speaker of the day. As he strode to the front of the room with a baseball in one hand and a glove in the other hand, no doubt the entire class had expectations of a speech on some aspect of how to play baseball. When Dan got to the front of the classroom, he put the baseball glove down and with a flourish pitched the baseball through the window, which was closed. At this point, he had the attention of everyone in the room. Dan went on to explain that he had spent the prior summer working in a plate glass company. Prior to that experience, he'd had no idea how often people needed to have a pane of glass replaced, either because someone had inadvertently tossed or batted a ball through a window, or the occupants had locked themselves out and had broken a pane to let themselves into the house. Dan indicated that it frequently took a day or more before someone from the glass company could get out to replace a broken pane of glass. But, he continued, it is easy to replace it yourself, and normally, if you'll give the dimensions of the glass to the glass company, they can cut it for you, and you can replace it the very same day. He then proceeded to show the class how to remove the shards and replace the broken pane of glass. Dan had adroitly gotten the attention of his audience. He let his listeners know the focus of his speech, he established his credibility, and he gave his listeners motivation for their attention.
He did not attempt to build rapport because his audience analysis suggested this was not necessary. Dan's was a perfect introduction for this speech. It would fit few others. Use the suggested attention getters as possibilities for your speeches, but don't let them limit you. There are other potential openers that you may devise which can be unique and special for achieving your goal. Think of your purpose, and you may create a very special opening that will literally command the attention of every listener. Chapter 5. Close with Power Many speakers don't know how to conclude a talk. They've worked on the message they want to present, and perhaps they've given thought to an introduction, but they give little or no thought to how they will finish. I've heard many speakers get to the end of their message and conclude with, that's all. I don't know about the rest of the audience, but I tend to visualize the cartoon character at the end of the Looney Tunes cartoons waving at the audience and saying in a high-pitched voice, that's all, folks. This is not a power closing. The other frequent end to a speech is for the speaker to ask, are there any questions? There are plenty of occasions when it may be appropriate, desirable, and even expected that there will be an opportunity for the audience to pose questions. However, this should not be confused as a substitute for a conclusion. Rather, the opportunity for questions to be asked should be an additional step. A question and answer session is not a power closing. In fact, as soon as you open the floor to questions from the audience, you relinquish control over the focus. Communication studies indicate listeners remember best the beginning and end of a speech. In fact, as soon as a speaker says, in conclusion, listeners will perk up their ears. So take advantage of the heightened attention you will have as you conclude your presentation. You want to both focus the audience attention on the main thrust or goal of your speech and leave them with a memorable statement. Once you conclude your speech, walk back to your seat with the same demeanor of confidence with which you approached the podium to begin. 44. Summarize your main points. This is your opportunity to hit your listeners for the final time with the main thrust of your talk or a succinct summary of the main points. Take advantage of it. Focus listeners' heightened attention where you want it to be. Though we'll look at delivery secrets a bit later, it is worth noting that if your goal is persuasive, this is a point to be especially dynamic in your delivery. Your conviction is itself a powerful persuader. Your summary of main points is the first power tool of your speech closing. The summary of your main points focuses listener attention, but in most cases it may not be memorable in a powerful way. So after summarizing the main points and focusing the audience attention where you want it to be, utilize the second power tool of your conclusion. You want to leave them with what I call a statement of impact. This memorable or impact statement has a similar goal to the attention step in the introduction. But rather than gain attention, as did the introduction, used in the conclusion, this power tool will retain audience attention. A strong statement of impact will make the speech memorable and better recalled. 
Any of the methods suggested for getting attention in the introduction, with the exception of suspense, may be used to conclude. Your task is to select the closing you believe will be the most memorable to your audience, as well as supportive of your goal. 45. Refer to the subject or occasion. Just as a speaker may choose to begin a speech by referring to the occasion, it is possible to close by making reference to the reason the group is gathered. The speaker might also allude to carrying on the work that the organization has been engaged in, or looking forward to the next anniversary the group will celebrate, and suggesting goals to be met prior to that occasion. 46. End with a powerful quotation. The quotation most often is a different quotation or even a different method than the one used in the introduction to the speech. But if you have a really strong quotation, it may be powerful enough to use at both the beginning and the end of your speech. It can tie the speech together and provide unity. 47. Ask a rhetorical question. Again, you are asking a question to which you want your listeners to respond internally. You are not asking them to shout out a response or raise their hands to be called upon. By now, their internal responses should meet your expectations. Their internal answers should be, whether positive or negative, the ones you expect. 48. Make a startling statement. You may choose to close with a startling statement whether or not you use this method for your opening. With a strong startling statement, it is even possible to begin and end with the same startling statement. If you use the same statement to both begin and end your speech, make sure you make the decision because you believe this statement to be a really strong and appropriate one for your speech goal. Do not make the decision because it is simply easier for you than formulating a different opening and closing. 49. Leave listeners with a vivid illustration. A strong story vividly told can leave a lasting impression and make your speech and its main thrust memorable. 50. Leave listeners with a humorous anecdote. As was the case with the introduction, be cautious with the use of humor. The humorous story should relate to the focus of your speech be told with a delivery style that lends itself to the humorous nature of the anecdote and should not be offensive to anyone. 51. Issue a challenge or appeal. If you have attempted to move your listeners to do something, you may challenge them to meet a goal or appeal to them to take action. 52. Keep a second closing in reserve. You have planned a summary of your main points and you have a statement of impact to close your presentation, but you are not finished yet. Prepare a second statement of impact and keep it in reserve. Then, if there is to be a question-answer session that will be conducted by either you, the speaker, or the moderator, you will be ready. At the end of the questions, you are not going to just thank the audience and sit down. To do that would not be memorable, it would not be powerful, and very likely it would not leave your listeners with the focus you had intended. You want to take back the floor, the focus, and the force. You do this 
by closing with the second conclusion you are holding in reserve. Present this second conclusion, and you not only have a memorable close, you add polish and professionalism as well. Chapter 6. Prepare like a pro. A pro is prepared, professional, and polished. The 12 secrets that follow will help you be thoroughly prepared. 53. Check the speaking environment prior to your presentation. Secret number five suggested you consider elements pertaining to the situation in which you would deliver your speech. That analysis was to help you plan for your speech as you put it together. At this point in your preparations, you need to conduct a thorough check of the environment where you will present your speech and seek to modify those elements of the situation you wish to have changed and adapt to those that are unchangeable. Check the room yourself if you can. If the presentation is to be in another city, talk with someone who has actually been in the room. Have specific questions you ask. Is there a stage area? If there is a stage or raised platform, how high is it? Is there special lighting that will be focused on the speaking area? Is there a lectern or a podium? Is it open so I can move around it freely? Is there a microphone, fixed or lavalier? Do I really need a mic in this room? What audio-visual equipment is available? Any special placement required? How many people will the room hold? How is the seating arranged? Can the chairs be moved, or are they bolted to the floor? What is the temperature like in the room? Can I control it? How? What is the noise level from other rooms or outside in the room? These are some of the situational constraints you may wish to check personally or ask about. Formulate your own list. Add any special concerns you have about your speaking environment. 54. Change environmental elements to fit your style and goal. As soon as possible, check the environment where you will present your speech. If you check on the situational constraints early enough, you may be able to change elements of the situation to better fit your presentation style or your speaking goal. If the room size, arrangement for audience seating, noise level, or other conditions that cannot be altered are not conducive to your style or goals, it may be possible to change the room assignment if you begin early. If, however, you wait until a day or two prior to your presentation to find the problem, you're likely to be stuck with it. Always request any items such as a lectern, audio-visual equipment, an extension cord, or other materials you need. Follow up a few days before the presentation to make certain the requested items will be available. If you ship things for your presentation to another location, call ahead to be sure of the name of the person you will ship to. Then call to make sure the shipment has been received. 55. Prepare your introducer with an introduction. If you are fortunate to have someone make a formal introduction of you to your audience, make the most of this opportunity. 
You want your listeners to think as highly of you, your qualifications, and accomplishments as possible. The initial attention they give to you will be directly related to how they feel about you, your expertise, as well as whether they trust you. Since you can't go around saying how great you are, let the person who introduces you do it for you. If someone is to introduce you, list your qualifications and accomplishments, those that are appropriate to the topic and thrust of your speech, as well as being positive credentials to the particular audience you will address. I would list them as bulleted items rather than try to write out the introduction. This makes it more likely that the person making the introduction will use the items you wish, yet use her own words so that it sounds more naturally like the person making the introduction. It may also save you the embarrassment of having the introducer conclude by saying that he read the introduction exactly as you wrote it. You may even comment to the person who is to introduce you that you will include only those things you believe will be of interest to the audience as they relate to the speech you will present. Then make two copies. Fax, mail, or give one copy to the person who will make the introduction. Take the second copy with you when you give your speech. The second copy takes no additional time to make, but is a lifesaver when the chairperson has left hers at home, the dog ate it, or the CIA confiscated it. You can remain focused on keeping mentally prepared for the speech you are to deliver, rather than trying to hastily reconstruct your accomplishments, and the introduction of you and your credentials will not suffer. 56. Select a title that's a hit. You do not need a title for every speech you present. If you are making a short presentation at a meeting of your department at work, you probably do not need a speech title. In fact, in such a situation, a title might seem overly pompous. Normally, you should formulate a title for your speech if there is to be something in print. A printed program, an announcement in the newspaper, or a sign advertising the presentation. You may title your speech if someone is going to introduce you to the audience so the title may be used in the introduction. However, you, the speaker, should not begin by announcing your speech title. Start with the introduction you have prepared. When selecting a title for your speech, give it careful thought. The title is your advertisement to draw the audience. The title should attempt to gain attention and generate interest in order to entice people to attend your speech. At the same time, the title should honestly portray what the audience can expect to hear. Remember, you have to face the crowd. 57. Use the three-minute prep for unexpected speeches. There are four delivery methods for speeches. Three of them require extensive preparation and are the subject of the 58th secret. However, one method, impromptu, is literally without preparation. So this delivery method is not one you would choose. It is thrust upon you in a situation for which you had no advance warning and hence no opportunity to prepare. Situations like this do occur and may happen to you. You arrive a few minutes before the meeting is to begin and your boss tells you that John, who was supposed to deliver a talk about employees' options in the new pension plan, is sick today. Your boss asks you to make the presentation to the assembled group. So, what do you do? Do you get nervous, as evidenced by the butterflies you suddenly feel in your stomach? Does a little voice in your head keep hammering negative thoughts? 
I can't do this. I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to get up there and nothing but babble is going to come out. Do this and you let your internal critic take over. Your critic is that internal voice that says you can't do it. You're going to fail. If you allow yourself to indulge in and reinforce such negative thoughts, it may become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have a better option. Say no to the negativism and let your internal coach take over instead. Your coach tells you to make the best of what little time you have to prepare. I make two assumptions for this method to be useful. First, that you have some expertise on the subject. You've probably been working on this project, and your boss feels that, next to John, you know the most about the pension plan options. Second, that you can find a minimum of three minutes before you actually begin your presentation. If all else fails, make a short trip to the restroom. You'll probably need that right now anyway. You will need a piece of paper and a pen. Make a habit of always carrying both these items with you. Take the first two minutes to jot down a short phrase noting each of the ideas you think you might cover that are related to the topic and goal. Just brainstorm these ideas quickly. Try to limit your notes to two or three words for each idea and put them in a list form, one under the other. When limiting yourself to two or three words per idea, you'll find that nouns are the most useful triggers. Later, when you look down at your notes, they will provide a quick mental cue to what you want to talk about. Take that third minute you were allotted for preparation to order your list. You need not rewrite your ideas. Just place a number in front of each idea, one, two, three, and cross out any ideas you decide to delete. Use this three-minute prep whenever you have a presentation suddenly thrust upon you. Since it gives the opportunity for some preparation, you will feel more confident and your talk will be more coherent than if you take your other option, which is to do nothing with those three minutes except get nervous. The feedback I get from participants in my seminars who have tried the three-minute prep is that it works wonders. 58. Determine your delivery method. The three-minute prep is a great tool for unexpected talks, situations where you have no forewarning of an impending speech, but it is not a substitute for the thorough preparation you should engage in for all other occasions, when you do know in advance you will present a speech. For the prepared speech, there are three delivery methods from which to select the one that will best fit both you and your audience. Extemporaneous, manuscript, memorized. Up to this point in your speech preparation, the same amount of effort has been expended, regardless of which delivery method you would use. As you gathered data, selected and organized your main ideas, developed an introduction and conclusion, the steps taken and time spent were the same no matter which delivery method you might later choose. But now you must make a choice of delivery method. Consider the audience. Which style will be best suited for them? Consider yourself, the speaker, as well. The amount of time you spend preparing at this point will be affected by the choice you make. For an extemporaneous speech, you'll make notes consisting of phrases that will jog in your mind each of the points you wish to make and in the order you have planned. As you deliver the speech, you'll glance at your notes and then talk about each point using the words that come to your mind. This gives the extemporaneous speech the advantage of sounding natural to listeners who are used to hearing this style of speech. 
It is usually an easy style for the audience to listen to and tends to hold their attention. It also gives the speaker an opportunity to make eye contact with the audience most of the time, note their reactions, and respond to the feedback with clarification or additional support for ideas. If you choose to deliver a manuscript speech, you'll need to write out your entire speech word for word. Then you will need to become thoroughly familiar with your manuscript so that you can deliver it smoothly and with as much eye contact with your audience as possible. Because you are tied to the manuscript, it is unlikely that you will make modifications in response to audience feedback. A manuscript speech is a written document delivered orally. The writing style is more formal than the oral style we are used to, and hence more difficult for the audience to listen to and understand. When we read written material, we can go back and reread sections of material which were unclear. Listeners do not have the opportunity to rehear your speech. Remember, it is more difficult to listen to the written style of a manuscript than the oral style of an extemporaneous speech. For a memorized speech, you will need to write out a manuscript and commit it to memory. A memorized speech retains the disadvantages of a manuscript speech with two additional disadvantages thrown in. It is very time-consuming to memorize a speech. Unless you have a photographic memory, you will live in mortal fear that you will forget your speech. So, what is the bottom line when making the decision whether to select an extemporaneous, manuscript, or memorized delivery method? Though all three methods involve a significant expenditure of time if you are to give it your best, the extemporaneous presentation will take the least time to prepare, the manuscript speech will take more of your time than extemporaneous, and the memorized will take the most time of the three to prepare. I cannot urge you too strongly to develop your ability to make extemporaneous presentations. In most of the speaking situations you encounter, it will be your best delivery choice. To develop your skill at making extemporaneous presentations is to empower yourself. For otherwise, you are likely to continue to give manuscript speeches, not because they are your best choice, but because you feel you have no other option. Are there any situations where a manuscript speech might be preferred or necessary? If you don't prepare your own speeches, but have a speechwriter who prepares them, you will most likely find it difficult to deliver them extemporaneously. What makes the extemp presentation possible is the close contact the speaker has had with the material through the data gathering, selection, and organization stages of preparation. Without this close association throughout the development of their material, most speakers will rely on a manuscript. The best speech writers will write in a style that sounds believable and natural for the intended speaker. A manuscript, because of its greater use of polysyllabic words and compound and complex sentence structures, will sound more formal. Hence, for a formal speech of policy by a head of state, our expectations are met by the tone of the manuscript speech. It is also true that for an important policy speech, where words must be chosen very carefully to avoid misunderstanding, the manuscript allows the speaker to carefully select his words. If a speech is to be broadcast, a manuscript will allow the speaker to better fit the speech into the precise time slot. 
It is difficult to present an extemporaneous speech and fit it to within a few seconds of a designated time. 59. Prepare notes, extemporaneous. If you have elected to use an extemporaneous delivery, your next step will be to prepare notes to aid you in delivering your speech. Your notes, if properly formulated, will assure that you will present the points you have selected in the order you have determined. Before starting to make notes, it is important to determine whether there will be a lectern available and whether you plan to use it. If you will not be using a lectern, put your notes on note cards, at least a 4x6 size. Note cards are preferable to sheets of paper if no lectern will be used. The smaller size is less obtrusive and the heavier weight will be easier to work with if you must hold them as you speak. The 4x6 size will allow you to get more on each card and still leave enough blank space so that your notes will not be too crowded. If you plan to use the lectern, don't put your notes on note cards. Use larger sheets of paper instead. A standard 8.5 by 11 paper size will fit on any lectern I have seen without creeping over the edge of the lectern. In fact, two sheets of this size can fit side by side without showing, so as you finish with one sheet, you can slide it unobtrusively over to the side. Most lecterns will even handle legal size sheets of paper. The larger sheets of paper will allow you to leave space while placing more information on each page. You will have fewer pages to keep track of and shuffle. The lectern will allow your notes to be unobtrusive and the lighter weight paper stock won't flutter in your hands. Use separate sheets of paper. No paper attached to a notepad or in a notebook. I have seen too many speakers lessen their polished image with yellow notepad paper hanging down the front of the lectern as they turn page after page. As you construct your notes, use short phrases, preferably no more than two to four words for each of the main ideas and supports you will present. This is a case where less is more. Many inexperienced speakers start out to make notes and end up with a manuscript. Remember, these notes are to trigger in your mind the ideas you want to convey and keep you focused on the order you have determined is best for your topic, goal, and audience. You will glance down at your notes to check what should come next, but you can look back at your listeners as you deliver the message. If you write out too much, you'll be afraid to look at your audience much. You'll be afraid you will have difficulty finding your place in your notes when you next need to check them. Since you have researched, selected, and organized the message, you are familiar with the material. You should only need a short phrase to jog your memory as to the idea you will cover next. The words you select for the short phrases on your notes should be primarily nouns. Nouns are the single words that will convey the most meaning to jog your thinking as you speak. For each word you place on your notes, Ask yourself whether you really need that word to trigger in your mind what comes next. Don't write out anything more than you absolutely need. Extra verbiage is your enemy later as you use your notes. Whether you are using note cards or sheets of paper, leave lots of space on the paper, between lines, on both sides, on the top and bottom of the page. The more space you leave and the less verbiage you use, the easier it will be to find your place when you need to glance at your notes. Number your pages. Place a number in one of the corners of each page so that if your pages get out of order, you drop your notes on the way to the lectern, you can quickly put them back in order.
If you have decided to present your speech extemporaneously, make your notes carefully and then use them. I don't know why it is, but some speakers seem to believe that the notes are there as a crutch, and that if they can present the speech without referring to their notes, it makes them better speakers. Your notes are not a crutch; they are an aid. Using notes is not a sign of weakness; it is a sign of a well-prepared speaker. Make certain that as you finish talking about the material on each page, you move that page out of the way, so that any time you need to glance at your notes, the point you will be discussing is easy to locate. Sixty, prepare a manuscript. If you've chosen to deliver your speech from a manuscript, or if you intend to memorize your presentation, you now must actually write your speech word for word. This will be a time-consuming task as you select each word and phrase exactly as you will present it. Put your manuscript on full sheets of paper and use a larger-than-normal type size. Like the extemporaneous speaker, you want to leave space between lines. Double or triple space your text. Even though you're reading from a manuscript, you need to look at and make eye contact with your audience as frequently as possible. Leaving space between lines in your text will help you find your place as you return to your manuscript. Because a manuscript speech will sound more formal in language choice and sentence structure than an extemporaneous speech, try to write for the ear. Avoid extremely lengthy sentences. Use a greater number of simple sentences than you ordinarily would if you were writing a piece to be read, and make liberal use of one and two syllable words in your speech. If you write for the ear, you will be rewarded with a more attentive audience. If the listeners are attentive, you are more likely to be effective. Sixty-one, time your speech. At this point in your preparation. Talk through an extemporaneous speech or read through a manuscript speech to get an indication of the time it takes to deliver, as well as how it sounds. You want to time your speech again later once you are more familiar with it and once you've done any further editing. An extemporaneous speech is actually likely to become longer as you practice it. You tend to add embellishments to various points as you become more comfortable with the material. However, this initial run-through as you time your speech will indicate whether you are in the ballpark. Sixty-two, edit, 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 edit. If you exceed the time limits, don't hesitate to cut material from your speech if once you time it, you find it runs too long. You know that twenty minutes is the limit for optimum adult attention. You also should know the audience's expectation of length. No matter how great you believe your material is, you defeat your goal if you greatly exceed the expected time limit. You will lose your listeners' attention and risk making many of them angry at you. Edit if you can find a better way to make a point. Perhaps the situation has changed and one of your examples is no longer pertinent. Cut it out. Perhaps since you originally put together your speech, you've come across a story that really makes your point. Put it in. Don't be afraid to make a change if it will improve your speech. Sixty-three, anticipate questions from the audience. Did you ever wonder how the president does such a good job answering questions thrown at him following his press conferences? 
Even though he may not know exactly what question Helen Thomas or Sam Donaldson may fire at him, he and his aides know the subjects that are most likely to come up. The president prepares accordingly. So should you. Once you have prepared your speech, your work is not over. Anticipate the kinds of questions you are likely to be asked. For each potential question, consider the strategy of your response. Don't try to memorize answers. At best, they will only sound rehearsed, and at worst, you'll forget what you tried to memorize. But if you think through a strategy for your response, you'll be prepared. You'll retain your cool composure, and you'll appear polished and competent. Effective speakers try to anticipate everything and leave nothing to chance. 64. Have questions ready to throw in the ring. If, after the conclusion of your speech, you open the floor for questions, and there are none, you may feel it weakens that last impression you leave with your audience. After waiting an appropriate length of time for questions, if there are none, you could wind up by indicating how much you enjoyed the opportunity to speak to them, and then move into that second conclusion you're holding in reserve. However, are there some questions that you wish someone would ask? Are there questions that you nearly always are asked when you present a speech on this topic? Is there something you wanted to include but didn't feel there was time because you were asked to leave ten minutes for questions at the end? Part of your preparation might include having two or three questions ready in case the audience isn't responsive. After a short pause, you could say, "One of the most frequent questions I get asked is." After you've answered one question. The audience may loosen up and ask several of their own. At any point, either after you have posed one or two of your own, or after the audience has finally made queries, you can conclude with that second closing you are holding in reserve.